Good morning. Um, I've been here for just over a week now, and the most common question that I've been asked over this past week has definitely been, where have you come from? Which obviously my answer will be Scotland or Glasgow or something of that kind. But that question could have a different meaning. Because I'm another way of looking at it and where have you come from? What have you came through in order to be here? What have you came through in order to be at this place? And that is a completely different question. But we're going to consider a people this morning who looked back at what they had come through for to get to where they were. We're going to look at the book of Nehemiah, if you would turn with me please. In Nehemiah, we have the people who have returned from exile, which is when they were taken out of the land that God had given them. And in the book of Nehemiah, the people are coming back to the land from the land of Persia. But that wasn't the only thing that had happened to them over the course of their history. And as we read through this chapter, in Nehemiah chapter 9, the people are praying. The people are before God, and they are before God confessing their sins, we are told, in the chapter. And we're going to look at a wee bit of that after we have read Nehemiah and chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Joshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani, and they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Levites, Joshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethalah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone have, you have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham, Abraham and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise for you have righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the, at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against their fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. 
By the pillar of cloud you led them by in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light them on the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai, and you spoke with them from heaven, and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them, and commanded them commandments and statutes by a law of Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and their fathers acted presumptuously. They stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you had performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not, the pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them for the way that they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouths and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. We'll call a closing to a reading there. I want to consider especially verses 9 to 13. I want to consider what we would class as the story of the Exodus. This story of a people who were called out from a land, called out to a different land from slavery in Egypt. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to consider that God delivers his people. We're going to consider that God destroys their enemy. And then finally, we're going to consider that God directs his children. So firstly, we're going to consider that God delivers his people. Now these people were the descendants of the man Israel. You may know or may not know that Israel had 12 sons and one daughter. And all of the names of the sons are mentioned in our Bibles. And as Andrew is going through Genesis, I'm sure you will reach them at some point. But these people were taken down into Egypt. There was a famine in the land. And they descended into Egypt from Israel to get food. And you may have heard of the man Joseph. Well, Joseph was made the Prime Minister of Egypt. The only person that was above Joseph was Pharaoh himself. And Joseph became, as I say, the Prime Minister, the Premier of the place, the city and, sorry, the country of Egypt. But Joseph died. And when Joseph died, there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. 
Because Joseph was well respected by the pharaohs that he served under. He was well respected as a leader. He was well respected as a provider for the people. But there came a time after Joseph died that a pharaoh was raised up that did not know Joseph. And he looked upon this land of Israelites and he saw them multiplying. He saw them getting bigger. He saw them getting stronger. And he considered to himself, what if they make an army? What if they cause themselves to be formed into a military army and they rise up against us? They become rebellious and they overthrow the superpower of Egypt. Now because of that, the Pharaoh decided to put the people of Israel into chains. He put them into slavery, made them serve him. It says that they built the cities of Ramesses and Pi. That they built the city, these great cities, which the ruins of we can go and see today. And they were under the yoke or the burden of Pharaoh. And this was the case for hundreds of years. But God did not want to leave his people in Egypt. Because he had promised to Abraham, who was Israel or Jacob's grandfather, that he would bring them back into the land that he had promised. And as we read in our passage in Nehemiah 9, that God had kept his promise. That the people were brought back into the land. The land of the Jebusites, the land of the Perizzites. But how God was going to do that would have been an impossible task for anyone else. God, in his great mercy, raised up one man. One man from millions and millions of men. The man Moses. And Moses has an encounter with God. And he gets to know God, this one God, who is going to redeem his people and bring them out from slavery. This man, Moses, was going to deliver his people. Now consider this. Moses was part of a slave people. And he was going up against the superpower of Egypt. He was going up against the world power. Imagine a wee nation like Liechtenstein or Luxembourg or even Ireland going up against, say, America. Someone with more capability, someone with a higher strength, more military power. You wouldn't think it's going to end well, would you? But God was with Moses. And we're told in our passage in verse number 9 that God saw the affliction of the people in Egypt. God is not there apart from us. He's not a way off in the distance. He is not somewhere where we can't reach Him. But He sees our afflictions. He sees the things that we are going through and He cares about it. He sees the things that we struggle with. And he cares about it. Don't think that God is a way out there, unreachable, out in the heavens somewhere, where he can't see what is happening to us. Because in verse 9 it says, 
you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. Are you in affliction today? Is there something in your life that is causing you to hurt? Is there something in your life that is causing you to cry out to God? Be assured this morning that He hears you. Be assured this morning that He is listening because He cares for you. But not only does God hear, but He acts. Because after raising up Moses, He performs signs and wonders against Pharaoh. Against this king of the earth, as we may call him, the most powerful ruler of his time. God goes against Pharaoh. It was a showdown of earthly might against heavenly might. And this is not something that we can do ourselves. It's not something that we can go up against these strong powers in our lives. These things which afflict us. These things which bring us down. But God can. Because not only does He see and hear, but He is powerful to act. And He acted against Pharaoh. He acted against this man who thought he was above all other things. Who thought he was above everything else. God acted against him and brought him down. It says in verse 10, You have made a name for yourself as it is to this day. There is no one on earth who deserves the glory that God gets. There is no one on earth who deserves the glory that God deserves. And therefore, whenever, one, whenever anyone exalts himself, puts himself on a pedestal like Pharaoh, even like the great king Nebuchadnezzar, who you may meet later in the book of Daniel. But he was humbled by God, so much so that he ate the grass. And then he cried out, there is only one true God, the God of Israel and the God of Daniel. But God humbled Pharaoh, and then he did something miraculous. He said to the people in, in Egypt, Come with me. I'm going to show you a land. A land of milk and honey. A land that I've promised to your fathers. Come with me and I'll take you there. So Moses takes the people and they get to what we call the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, they're confronted with this massive river. Imagine the Irish Sea which separates both Scotland and Ireland. And they have to stand there and they look at it and they think, how are we going to get across there to the land that God has promised to us? There are mountains on either side of them and then Pharaoh is coming after them. The very person who had held them in slavery is pursuing them. And they're boxed in on all sides. It seems like an impossible situation. But God is still powerful. God is still able to save. 
You may have, if you were in that crowd of over a million people, you may have been thinking, this is impossible. There's no way out of this. There's no way that I can be free from Egypt. I've got the Red Sea in front of me. I've got mountains either side of me. Pharaoh's behind me. What can God do? Well, we're told in our passage, in verse number 11, it says, You divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. You know, when we are held in slavery to sin, before Christ comes into our lives, it's an impossible situation. We are in an impossible situation because there is nothing that we can do to get out of that slavery. We can't work our way out of it. We can't do things to get our way out of it. The people of Israel had no way of crossing that Red Sea by themselves. There was a massive chasm between them and what God had promised them. They couldn't swim it. They often, back home in Scotland, sing the song, How did Moses cross the Red Sea? Did he swim? No, no. Did he fly? No, no. Did he drive? No, 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 no. And the chorus goes, God blew with his huff, 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 huff. He blew just enough, nuff, 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 nuff. And through the sea, they walked. And that's what God has done for us. We were in an impossible situation. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And God made a way through an impossible situation. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And to know that we can do nothing to save ourselves. That we can do nothing to even grasp at God. But that God sent His Son to die for us. That we might walk on dry land. We don't need to wade through the sea. We don't even need to swim or even paddle through the sea. God made a way through dry land. And God has made a way through the cross. God delivers His people. He doesn't need us to do anything for Him because of His power to do it Himself. But secondly, God defeats their enemy. This man Pharaoh thought he was above everything. This man Pharaoh thought that he was the God of that country. That he could do anything he wanted. But the God of heaven and earth had something to say about that. Because God brings Pharaoh down. He destroys Pharaoh and his economic stability. He destroys Pharaoh and his, his hope and his land. But even more than that, Remember Pharaoh who was coming after this children of Israel? Remember Pharaoh who was pursuing these people? Well, the children of Israel had walked across that dry land. And then Pharaoh and his army decided, we're going to follow them. We're going to go that same way. We're going to pursue after them. But we're told that the children of Israel made it to the other side. 
but not Pharaoh and his army. Because God, after the children had made it through, closed the Red Sea. The waters which had been pushed back by that great wind came flooding back and they wiped out Pharaoh. They wiped out his army, his chariots, everything that Pharaoh had put his trust in was wiped out completely. And you know, God has done that for us as well. God has defeated our enemy, the enemy of our souls, Satan himself. Last week, Andrew read from Genesis chapter 3, and you looked at the first six verses of the first sin of man. I'm sure next week you will continue in Genesis 3 and you'll look at the head crusher. The promise that God gave to Adam and Eve after they had sinned. That someone would come from the seed of the woman and crush the head of the serpent. This wasn't going to be arm-to-arm combat where both sustained minor injuries. This wasn't going to be a simple brawl out in the street. This was going to be a destruction which had never been seen or has been seen before. It's said that this man who was the seed of Eve will bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. He will destroy him completely. And you know when Jesus died on the cross... Satan was crushed. It may have looked like victory. It may have looked like Jesus was destroyed. But when he rose again the third day, we know that Satan was defeated. That Jesus had got the keys of death, hell and the grave from Satan himself. Colossians chapter 2 puts it so well. It says that, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Can you imagine if every time you sinned, a small piece of paper was produced with an IOU to God? Now imagine if you went through your whole life gathering all of them up and you take a nail and you hammer them to the cross. That's what it's talking about here. The legal debt that we had towards God, the legal debt that we had towards our Lord And our creator had been nailed to the cross. Every one of those IOUs was paid in full. There was nothing left for us to pay. Both past, present and future sins. But in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 2. It has a a wonderful statement. That I hold so close to my heart. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them 
in him. The rulers and authorities that Paul is talking about here to the Colossians is Satan himself. Satan, who was the, he was the Pharaoh. He was the one who thought more of himself. He thought, I can be as God. And in a sense, Pharaoh was simply a manifestation of Satan. He thought I could be like God. But Christ, when he died on the cross, triumphed over Satan. He killed Satan's power over our lives. So that Satan no longer has the power over us. But we are dedicated to God. Paul also talks about this in Romans chapter 6. He talks about our slavery to sin when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He talks about how we were under sin's burdens. We did the, we did the work of sin. But now, it says, we have been freed from sin. We have been brought out from under slavery to sin. And now we are under slavery to God. We are now under the ownership of God if we have been saved by Him. We are now under God's ownership to do His will. To do the things that He asks us to do. To do things like a kids club. Like a youth event. Like afternoon tea. We are to dedicate ourselves to the work of God. But how do we do that? How do we go about that in our day-to-day lives? Do we have to do it alone? Do we have to work out maybe a good plan? Maybe work out something of what we can do for God? No. Because God directs His children. Back in our passage in Nehemiah, we are told that God gave them the pillar of clouds and the pillar of fire. These were big things in front of the children of Israel which showed them the way to the promised land. They showed them all of the ways in which they could go, but there was only one way to follow God. And it says that they were a pillar of cloud to lead them in the daytime and a pillar of night to lead them, a pillar of fire to lead them by night. There were two pillars. And just like the people of Israel, we have two pillars in which lead us in the way in which we should go. Through Peter, God has told us that he has given us all things for life and godliness. We have an internal guide and we have an external guide. When we are saved and when we are redeemed, we are given an internal guide. We are given the Holy Spirit. And that's a message in itself, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, what He does, how He guides us, how He talks to us and shows us the path in which we should go. But Jesus talks about Him in John 14 to 16. And he tells us that the Spirit will lead us in the way in which we should go. That Spirit is God. How great is it to know that the God who made the heavens and the earth, 
The God who has the power to overthrow the king of the world, as it were, can indwell in us and can guide us and keep us in the way in which we should go. You know, Paul talks again about the Spirit. He talks about quenching the Spirit. He talks about ignoring the Spirit. Because the Spirit is not just like a water jug. How far filled up are you? The Spirit is, again, like God, a person. He's someone we have a relationship to. He's someone that we can be close to. Or He's someone that we can be far away from. So we need to be close to the Spirit. Because the Spirit will guide us internally. But we also have another thing which guides us. And that's the external one, the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the things which God has preserved for us. He has given us so much of His grace and given us so many of the Scriptures. Telling us of His mercy, of His love. Maggie was talking about it earlier. She said, how many thousands of years can we read through the Scriptures and see the mercy of God, see the love of God, see God moving in history? Well, God has not changed. God still moves today. God still moves through us and through His Word. We're told in Psalm 119, the longest psalm and longest chapter in the Bible, that your word is a light to my feet and a light unto my path. When we read the Scriptures, when we consider the Scriptures, God's word spoken to us, it gives us the way in which we should go. It shows us the path in which we should lead. So my question for you is, where have you come from? But more importantly, where are you going? Because we know that we all have a history. We know that we all have a place where we came from when God saved us out of that place. And we have to leave that behind. We have to leave where we were. All of the things that we did in our past life. All of the things that we enjoyed in our past life. Because God has brought us out of that place. Out from slavery to it. Out from the bondage of it. Into His way. Into His path. That we can follow after Him. That we can cling to Him. That His way will be the way in which we should go. That we follow after God in everything that we do in life. And that's not going to happen every single day. It's not going to happen easily. But through our lives, God is faithful. And that passage in Nehemiah speaks of the faithfulness of God. Despite our shortcomings, despite all the times that we drift away from God, He is faithful. He is gracious. He is ready to pardon. And He has mercy and abundance. Know that this morning, that God has saved you and His mercy will sustain you.